Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Um, kind of overcast this morning, which is okay to help keep the temperature down, but it's probably keeping the humidity up. Going to be a hot one again today, but we have a cold front coming through and we are not going to be 100 degrees. Now, I know no one can tell the difference between 99 degrees and 100 degrees, but psychologically it makes a big difference to say no more triple digits for a little bit. Now, we have to remember that the garden is not just about how hot it gets. During the day, we can get super duper hot and your plants are like, oh, please give me a break. Well, the real problem is if it doesn't cool down enough at night, those plants need a cooler night temperature to be able to breathe, literally to move the carbon dioxide into their body and oxygen out. If it's too hot at night, they don't get a chance to, quote, take a breath. And they don't process that carbon dioxide. They don't make oxygen, water, and carbohydrates, which means they can't really feed themselves. They're severely stressed because of this high temperature at night. Our weather report shows that, well, we're going to stay above that kind of trigger temperature for at least another week, if not maybe the whole month. Because that nighttime temperature is so warm, we're seeing problems where plants will maybe bloom, but they won't set fruit. Now... Um, flowers may be smaller than you expect them to be. During the spring, your rose blooms may be these nice, full, beautiful blooms. During this weather, suddenly they're very small. They may still be there. They can be very pretty, but they don't have that gusto of the springtime blooms with the really big buds and flowers. That, again, is from the heat at night. So until we get out of this weather pattern, which should be sometime around the middle of September, a lot of plants are going to severely struggle, really, really struggle, just to survive the summer. Now, there are some plants where this isn't such a big deal. For example, I've got huge patches of lantana with lots of blooms on them. They look gorgeous. I really like them this year. They're doing well. I have a Mexican honeysuckle covered with orange blossoms on it. It's, it doesn't even uh, seem to recognize that it's hot. My almond verbena... It's trying to bloom, but I don't think it's had enough water. That's another factor that we're suffering from. We are down several inches from what we would normally have at this time of the year. 
that's not going to cut it in these temperatures. So don't be too surprised <clears throat> that your garden is taking a beating, that your rose beds, that your flower beds are looking terrible. Your turf is probably not that good either. Now, I'm a little I'm a little different than some folks. I don't provide supplemental water to my turf. <clears throat> yes, I get wild grasses and I get weird weeds and things like that. But it's difficult when we're so short of water and we have so many other things. Um, I, I just can't justify trying to water. I have an acre of ground and it's, um, I don't think it's worth the water to try to uh, keep some of these areas wet. Now, if you are watering, and that's fine, you're trying to keep your turf green. Remember, your turf uses a lot of water. It needs about an inch to an inch and a half of water per week. It's a lot of water. So if you're doing watering to try to keep your lawn green, keep that in mind. And it would be best if you can apply that water all at once. If you're going to put an inch of water down, put it down slowly. If you have a zone sprinkler system, well, try uh, multiple runs of the zone. And I say that because if you just suddenly turn on your sprinklers and let them run, you're probably going to have runoff. And that's wasting water. That's going to cost you money for using water that didn't do anything for you. So rather than have runoff, run your sprinklers, half as much water as it's supposed to get. And then in the evening, run it the other half. That way you get the amount of water you should have. You're going to uh, distribute the water in such a way that you won't have runoff. You'll be able to keep that water on your property and it'll really help your turf. Those of you with uh, St. Augustine, remember, let it grow long. Let it go to four inches in height before you mow it. Take a third of the blade off. That means setting your mower to about two and a half inches. Mow when it hits that height. Do not mow because it's Saturday. I know we all work. We all have things that other than taking care of our turf. But you remove one third of the blade. And that is the amount of grass to take off that will not cause thatch. It'll fall back down on the ground, especially if you have a mulching mower. And it'll begin feeding the turf. You know, they used to have a program where they said, keep it on the lawn. That's what they meant. Don't bag it and throw it away. Grass is a cannibal. 
if you cut off the right amount of grass, it will decompose and feed itself without making a thick thatch layer, and your turf will look much better. The longer grass also shades the ground to keep it cooler, which means that you will have deeper roots and better plants. The grass plant will be rich and look good and be able to withstand the kind of heat we've had. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're up against a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Yesterday, um, I was outside looking over my citrus plant. I have a blood orange, 10 years old or older, in a container. And it looked like someone had gone at it with a paper punch. You know, those little handheld things to punch a hole in the paper. It had torn leaves and edges gone and holes in the middle all over it. The leaves look fine other than these big holes. Had a nice rich color to the leaf. I mean, it wasn't yellowing, anything like that. And I'm looking real close and son of a gun if there weren't a pair of grasshoppers on it. And they blended in perfectly to the color of the leaf. I wouldn't have seen them if they didn't move in front of me and let me know they were there. So I'm going to be mixing up some neem oil. Should work, uh, it should mix up well in these warm temperatures. And uh, I'm going to spray the citrus with it. Now, I'm going to wait till this evening when the sun isn't shining on it. And I'm going to soak it pretty good. It won't burn the plant. I don't have to rinse it off in the morning. I know we still have a lot of people who believe that. But the neem smells bad to grasshoppers may smell bad to you too. It's not the most pleasant of scents. It also tastes bad to the grasshoppers. And if they should eat it and get neem in them, neem oil, um, neem oil prevents them from being able to eat. I'll just leave it at that. So, I'm getting three modes of action there, trying to get the grasshoppers off of the orange and give the orange a chance to put on new leaves. It may have the opportunity, putting on new leaves, to also bloom again. I lost all the blooms for on it this spring already, unfortunately, but that could have been from the grasshoppers that I couldn't see. They are devious little buggers um, with the the matching color of the grasshopper and the tree was just unbelievable. They almost looked like chameleons. It turned into the exact color of the leaf. 
and hopefully that will keep them off of there. Now, I'll probably spray once a week. The neem oil should last about that long on on the uh, citrus plants. There's not a whole lot else I can do to these grasshoppers. Now, people will tell you about kaolin clay or the commercial version of the product called WP Surround. It's a very, very fine powder. You mix with water, it'll look like milk. You spray it on the plant and when the, when the water evaporates, you have this very fine dust on the leaf. Now, this dust doesn't affect the leaf. The plant will still continue to grow, be happy camper, but the dust has really sharp edges on it, kind of like diatomaceous earth. And when a grasshopper lands on the leaf, remember, insects taste plants through their feet. They don't take a bite out of it first because the plant could be deadly to them. So they land on the plant, recognize whether it's something they can eat or not through the sensors in their feet. So the kaolin clay doesn't, um, doesn't let the grasshopper taste the leaf it's on. It tastes bad to it. Now let's say we get a particularly smart grasshopper or a very hungry grasshopper if he starts to chew on the leaf with the kaolin clay, the moisture on the leaf will start to turn the clay into a bubble gum almost. And the grasshopper won't be able to swallow it or eat it anymore. He'll have to move on. So he can be chased away that way. It's relatively inexpensive and it's no harm to the plant. The only issue with it, I guess it's not an issue this week, is that if it rains, it can wash the kaolin clay off. While the neem oil, being an oil, isn't washed off as easily. So I'm going to use the neem to try to get rid of the grasshoppers and keep them off of the plant. They can go eat something else. They're just not going to eat my orange and see what happens here. I thought of trying to capture them and, you know, sacrifice them to birds. Birds may want to eat them, but they were a little difficult to catch. <clears throat> so we're just going to try to put up a barrier to keep them away. I'll let them go eat the weeds. Let them go eat. The, they can start eating my sticker birds. That would be nice. That would be one way to be able to get rid of them. But right now, I just need them to give the plant a break. Now, I have mine in a container, which allows me to really control how much water it gets and when, and it's been doing great. Probably will give it a little dose of fertilizer to start replacing all the leaves that have been chewed on. That shouldn't take it long. I would think in a couple, maybe three weeks, fertilizer, water, and no more being eaten on. And almost all of those leaves should be replaced with new ones. It'll look great. 
it'll be a really good looking um, plant. Now, with any luck, I can convince it to maybe I can get it to bloom again and I have a chance at getting some oranges again this year. I had some last year. May have picked them a little early. They weren't as sweet as I wanted them to be, but they were delicious. So we're going to battle grasshoppers this week. Hopefully I can get control of them and get my plants growing again without being chewed in half by the little wing buggers that we don't want around. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We're coming up from the bottom of the hour. We need to break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, gardeners. Hot day. A hot, hot day. I guess that's summer in Texas, so shouldn't be complaining about it. Um, got a text question here. How soon can you foliar feed tomatoes after trimming them back? Immediately. It's not going to harm the tomatoes. It will be... Uh, a booster shot for them, and you should be doing it, oh, I don't know, maybe once a week, once every other week, if you're using a liquid fertilizer to get them growing after you've cut them back so that they will produce again in the fall. But there's no, fuller feeding is not like a big electroshock to them. It's simply one way for them to take up nutrients. And if they don't need it, they won't take it. So that's one of the advantage of using the organic brands of fertilizers because some of the conventional fertilizers, the chemical ones, force the nutrients into the plant, even though they may not need it. And you can wind up with a lot of problems that way. Let's go to the phone. This is Brendan. Brendan, what can I help you with? Uh, Brendan? Hello? No, this is Mike. Mike, what can I... Oh, I see you up here. I'm sorry. I picked the wrong one. Mike, what, do you, what can I help you with? Well, uh, uh, love your show, Jeff, first off, and thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got a rental property that has an AC unit in the backyard, and it's direct sunlight from noon all the way through the heat of the day and my ac guys are saying you know the best way to shield it is with plants and that way they don't hover over it they just kind of like a little sun filter so to speak and my wife suggested uh texas sage and i was curious if i could grow them in a pot or do they have to be in the ground? Being that actually my whole backyard of that rental is my septic field. And then um, also I had a lava lolly pine question. 
Okay. Uh, the Texas sage, it'll depend on the variety as to whether or not you can grow it in a container. Some of them will okay. get eight feet tall, and some of them you can get that'll stay four feet or less. So that's going to kind of decide it for you. Right. Okay. I wanted be, the six they, to eight foot. Yeah, they should be okay in the ground, even though that's um, the septic field, because you're not eating the fruit of the right. plant, and it right. should be right. okay. Okay. And then my loblolly question, pine tree, uh, the state park did a control burn about eight, eight, ten months ago that ended up out of control. <laughs> and it burned my, my property from 2011 again. And I had planted loblolly pines all probably five or six years ago, and they finally got up, you know, to 10 foot. And I have four of them right in front of the property, which the, the house wasn't there before, but uh, all four of them were green one week, and I haven't made it over there because it's rented to uh, to water, but one of them turned completely brown. And they all four were kind of scarred a little bit coming out of the ground from the fire, but they all, you know, have been doing fine since then, but I have one of them turn in a week, turn completely brown. Is it going to come back or shall I just cut it down? Can't answer that. <clears throat> it depends on okay. why. <laughs> so I need to give it Why time. it turned brown. Was it a mite? Is there an insect on there causing a problem? Did the plant get damaged or wounded from the weather? You know, there's a lot okay. of questions as to well, how did it get in this condition? And if yeah. you had answers to those, you could make a better guess as to whether it would recover. Right. Um, how tall, well, how tall did, is it? It's about 10 feet. And I did trim the lower stuff like that were on the ground up to about three feet. And then, you know, I sprayed it with the, the prune pruning seal and all that. And... I, as I did all of them, because they were, you know, they were coming out six inches off the ground, you know, and all scraggly and this, and I cleaned it all up, you know, and I didn't know if maybe that had something to do with it, or, but the other three are doing just fine. Okay, first off, when you trim that type of tree, you do not have to spray the wounds. Okay. Oak trees are the only ones where they want us to spray the wound on the oak tree. Okay. Trimming, trimming them up like that shouldn't have been the cause of the problem because the other three oh. are doing okay, or the others are right. doing okay after you did the same thing. So, right. Absolutely. Like I said, you may have a pest problem that caused them to turn brown. That would be a mite of some kind. Cut a okay. little tip of a branch off, bang it on a white sheet of paper, and wash the white sheet of paper and see if anything looks like it's moving. That would okay. be a decent indicator that you have mites. After okay. that, it could be some disease, and I'm not quite, or the damage from, you know, the, the stress of the year. I'm not quite sure what that could be. But at 10 right. foot, that's a pretty established tree. 
It should be yeah. able to handle what it's got this year. Yeah, I mean, it's like four inches at the ground, you know. I mean, it, and I planted, I got the tree folks, you know, they came out and I bought a bunch of trees and, or they actually, they gave, gave them, you know, and I planted about 150 of them and because it was burned out, I lost the greatest pine trees you'd ever seen in your life. And, and it's an acre of land. Anyway, I got about 15 trees out of the 150 that I planted, which I'm grateful for that. But uh, it just kind of sad a little bit that this one took a nosedive, but uh, I'll try that and figure, see if I can figure something out. Well, and it may just be a matter of time. One thing that would help all of the trees is rain. I mean, yeah. it would <laughs> desperately help them. Absolutely. Okay. Well, then that answers it, and I appreciate your help, sir. Thanks for the call, Mike, and good luck to get those back going for you. You bet. Yeah, Thank folks. you, sir. You bet. Uh, yeah, folks, it is it is hard to tell on some trees, did they turn brown for a reason? That's the first thing that we got to ask. Was it an insect? Did the tree suffer some stress? Uh, did it not get enough water? There's so many things that you have to determine first before you can even begin to say, oh, yeah, don't worry, they'll come back. Simple things to look for, especially on the pines, because they really get affected by mites, and they can turn brown in a hurry. But mites can be removed. Mites can go away. If it wasn't a mite, though, we have to address it somehow differently to find out what it was. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Brendan, I see you there. I got to take a quick break. I'll catch you on the other side. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 0590. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Brendan. Brendan, what can I help you with? Thank you for taking my call, Jeff. Uh, about last November, when I called uh, in asking about uh, how I should prep pecans uh, for planting, I put them in about a uh, like a little one quart container. Uh, I started with twenty one of them, and uh, these are pecans that I got from the uh, Columbus area. Uh, they have some beautiful trees down there. Well, anyway, I uh, did, as you said, I soaked them in water uh, for about a week altogether and uh, planted them at different times, also breaking the shell. Uh, so some of the uh, white or the yellow meat of the pecans would come through. Well, out of those, uh, six started sprouting, but they got away from me because I uh, wasn't watching it. It became overgrown with weeds as they were setting outside. Uh, so I'm starting this again. I don't know what kind of luck I'm going to have in this heat, but I'm keeping them very well watered. They're in a pot now. How long should I expect before I can, before they will, uh, let's say, germinate and pop up through the top? Uh, that'll kind of be a function of the weather and the pecan. If it's a good 
vital pecan, if it's one that will germinate, um, it may be six weeks. If it's some other type and it can take longer to do that, uh, the best way to do it is to hand it to a squirrel and let the squirrel plant it for you because I get those kind of pecans all over the place. And the nearest pecan tree to me is like a thousand feet from my house. Um, also, you can, you can try them now. You can do that. One thing you have to take into account, pecans want to set a tap root. So you would love to have some containers that are taller than they are around to help that pecan establish a good root so you could plant it later. Right. Okay. And thank you very much for your information. Thanks for the call, Brendan. Yeah, folks, seriously, you want, if you want a pecan tree, uh, ask a squirrel. They just, they just put those nuts everywhere. Same with oaks. I've got so many oaks coming up in my container plants. I'm always pulling them out. You, you have an issue with starting a pecan from a nut. Most of our pecans, the commercial varieties that you would get at a nursery, are grafted. They're not plant the nut, get the tree. They're grafted. That grafting enables the pecan to handle our environment. The grafting also helps you get a paper shell pecan or a pecan that's got lots of nuts per pound or one that doesn't have very many nuts per pound and has lots of meat in each nut. You have ones that are scab resistant and ones that you know, uh, are resistant to the pecan nut case borer. So planting a, you pick up a pecan off the ground and planting it and getting a tree, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. You should get a pecan tree. It's the qualities that you're looking for that might not match up. So do this if you wish. From a nut, it's going to take a long time. It may be 10 years of planting that nut before you get your first pecan. So that can be a serious, serious issue for you. If you don't intend to be in that home 10 years from now, well, it's an interesting experiment. It's fun to do to take a pecan and plant it and let it grow into a tree. But like I said, if you're growing it because you want to go out and pick pecans, go to a nursery when they have their pecan trees in stock and get one there. That tree will produce pecans much faster than producing than by sticking a pecan in the ground and waiting for it to grow up and become a tree. 
it'll also be able to pick the one that you want, whether you want a uh, <clears throat> a paper shell, whether you want one that's particularly uh, late season pecan or an early season pecan, one that has really large pecans on it. All of those factors can be controlled by getting a grower pecan tree. They've been grafted and hybridized to get exactly what you want. Otherwise, you're kind of taking a guess. That's not a bad thing. That, that really isn't a bad thing to make a guess to get what you can. But it may be frustrating knowing that starting one today is going to be 10 years or more before you get your first pecan. You just got to plan that out. Now, you can enjoy the tree without having to get pecans off of it. They can be beautiful trees. But it's that time frame. So if you've got the patience, go for it. If you've got the place, that's definitely a reason to go for it. But just understand, starting from the nut itself, planting it to start a tree, it's going to be a long time before you get any nuts off of it. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Coming up to the top of the hour, we're going to break for the news. I'll catch you all on the other side. 